0: Every American citizen must have
1: an equal right to vote. Administration of elections is primarily a state and local responsibility. Whether you voted for the very first time or waited in line for a very long time, by the way, we have to fix that.
2: Welcome to High Turnout Wide Margins. This is Brianna Lennon. I am the county clerk for Boone County, and with me is my co-host.
1: Eric Fay, Director of Elections in St. Louis County, Missouri.
2: And today we have Avery Davis-Roberts from the Carter Center here to talk about election observation and the work that the Carter Center has done and that they're going to do in the future. So thank you so much for being our guest today.
0: Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
2: So our first question, is always, how did you end up working in elections?
0: I'm sure I'm probably not the only person to say this, but it was a, it's a little bit accidental, I think, to, to be completely honest. My background was not in political science, not in really anything to do with elections. I um, am trained as a lawyer. Um, But I really had had a focus on international law, international human rights law. I was particularly interested in sort of the Middle East and legal, customary legal practices in other countries. And I went through all of my sort of formal education and then was working um, as a research consultant um, in London. I, I, you can't tell from my accent, but I did grow up in the UK although I was born in Chicago, so, Um, but I went all through graduate school and everything in in London. So I was working there um, as a research consultant, but didn't really pay very well. So I was also working part time in the bridal department of a department store when I thought, you know, I should really be doing this an internship. Why don't I do an internship at the Carter Center? go back to the States for a while, it'll be interesting. So I, what came to be an intern at the Carter Center in the democracy program that focuses on elections. um, And that was really where I kind of got my toes wet um, in the election swimming pool. Um, And I have been really involved in election work and sort of fell in love with elections and, International elections, elect sort of the technicalities and details of elections. Everything about elections, I love, and that was sort of how I got my my start thinking about elections and working on elections.
2: I'm curious how the the work has changed for you over time at the Carter Center. What are you What are you working on now?
0: So when I first started working um, in the democracy program, um, it was. A little while ago, but you know we certainly had as the Carter Center had sort of an established reputation for international election observation at the time. You know the the Center started observing elections in the late 80s and through the course of the 90s, a lot of other organizations had also sort of started. Um, conducting international election observation. So when I first started working at the Carter Center, one of the main things we were focused on was not only our own observation work, but trying to build a community of international election observers who maybe shared common principles, um, common methodologies for doing our work. So one of the first things that I worked on was building that community, um, working on what became the Declaration of Principles for International Election Observation, which has now been signed by, I think, more than 50 international election observation organizations and sort of guides the work of all of the main international election observation organizations that work internationally. So that was sort of where we, what we were working on then and that has grown to focus on other issues around sort of election standards and how all of these different organizations really understand and assess the quality of elections Um, but at the same time i've you know continued to work on country programs observing elections in various parts of the world with the center working with partner organizations in other countries to do like citizen observation where citizens observe their own elections rather than having international people come in and 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 look at the election process Um, and more recently uh, i've been working on our u.s elections project so done a whole bunch of different things but the work has definitely there's been a lot of consistency but also change i would say over the years
1: and i guess this is more of a international question now but I've done a number of international election observation missions, and it's always fascinating the people I meet on these missions who are, who are other observers. And there are obviously non-governmental organizations like yourselves that do observation. And then there are, you know, intergovernmental organizations, you know, OSCE, OAS, EU that do these types of things. When I go as an election administrator, a big part of what I want to do is learn how the election system works in the other country and understand what the other election administrators are doing. I also feel like election administrators bring a unique perspective to election observation. And um, I will say sometimes it frustrates me. Some of the people I meet on these missions that have no background in election administration whatsoever, not that you should necessarily have to have that, but they bring a much different focus and are looking for different things, I guess. My question is, how do you find a good mix of observers for your missions? Who, What types of people do you look for?
0: I'm sure you won't be surprised. We put a ton of thought into this with every mission. You know, we, as, as the Carter Center as a non-governmental organization, I think we have a little bit more flexibility about how we can recruit our observers in some ways, right? So if, if you're one of the intergovernmental organizations like the EU, or the OSCE, you know, their observers are all citizens of their member states. And we, as as an organization that doesn't have member states, can recruit observers (laughs) from anywhere in the world. So we um, try and ensure on our uh, delegations that we have a good mix of gender balance, but also sort of diversity and where people are from. We try to have a mix of Americans, Europeans, Africans, Asians, people who are maybe coming from neighboring countries to the country where we're observing because we understand that there are social, political contexts around elections that can be shared in in a sort of in a regional perspective. We try and have folks with good election administration background. We try and have some people that maybe have a good depth of knowledge of the country itself of the political context. So sometimes we'll have academic researchers who have focused on say the politics of Zambia for 30 years or something like this. They really know sort of how the political parties function there. We might have people with sort of a human rights background who have experience in understanding the broader sort of human rights context around an election. We do try and have people, at least half of the delegation if we can, speak whatever language is spoken in the country. Because as you know, Eric, when you're going out and you're in a country where you don't speak the language, you usually have an interpreter with you. Um, But one interpreter for two people, it can be challenging for the interpreter to keep up. Um, So we do try and have a little bit more of of a language knowledge base in our teams. So we try and sort of cover all of the bases around the political, human rights, election administration, context of the election. But it is It is very challenging. And our delegations are not nearly as big as the OSCs. We might have 100 people, depending on the size of the country for a short term, but we try and be pretty, pretty careful, knowing that as you say, everyone is gonna have a slightly different focus and ask different questions and be interested in different things. And we think that when you have people with all of these different backgrounds, you put it all together and you get a pretty good sense of the different dynamics and maybe where there are issues
1: several years ago there was an election and i can't remember what country in sub saharan africa it was and that just shows my american ignorance but there were a number of international organizations that observed the election there and overall the, the assessment was was pretty good and then the domestic authorities said no there there were issues there was fraud the, the election had to be redone and i remember seeing that and reading about it. And it actually reminded me of a scene from the the TV show Veep on HBO, when Julia Louis-Dreyfus's character goes and is is an international election observer in some other country and just acts in the worst ways possible uh, that that you could imagine. And so how does the international election observation community, the, the organizations that do it, how do you combat one the, the perception of these kind of election tourists, and two, maybe to some, in some respects, the real issue of folks who, you know, might go that might not possess the best credentials to be doing what they're doing in some cases. Um, I'm curious to know what you think about that. Yeah,
0: no, that's so, I I mentioned earlier the the Declaration of Principles um, for International Election Observation that we were working on when I first started at the Carter Center and, you know, um, one of The reasons that I think all of these organizations felt like we needed to really sort of come together as a community and talk about what, what is international observation, what sort of are our guiding principles, what is it that we do, how can we explain this to people was it was a combination of those factors I think in like the early 2000s, there had been an election where maybe there were um, multiple out international observation groups looking at the same election and they came up with quite different um, analyses of how that election had gone and so that sort of started what has now become a, com- a community of practice sort of thinking about like, hmm, how do we address this problem, how do we make sure we're all using the same approaches. But then you know there was also the issue of allegations and, and accusations of electoral tourism. And really, I think a desire on the part of all of the organizations to make sure that we had a better sense of what is appropriate conduct for our observers and a tool to hold them accountable. So attached to the Declaration of Principles is a code of conduct for our observers. All of the endorsers of the Declaration of Principles use that code of conduct. It talks about, you know, you know, basically like follow the law, don't do really bad things, use good judgment. And then it basically says like, if you don't, we boot you off the mission. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, we make sure that people have read that, they understand what's in there, and we hold people accountable to that. You know, and we also kind of going back to your earlier question, Eric, about sort of how we select people, we also are sort of, we we try to do due diligence in advance of sending people out as our observers to, to make sure that they'll you know, do a good job and understand the process. We give a lot of training about sort of how elections work in this country, how you should behave in this country in a way that's culturally appropriate. How do you um, interact with folks when you get into the polling places? You know, we we give a lot of training in advance, but you know, every once in a while you still have somebody who you might have to have a word with about their behavior. But luckily it does not happen very often.
1: Tell us a little bit more about the US elections project. I know the Carter Center, I think you've like done some observation on Native American reservations in the United States in the past. What else uh, have you done or do you plan to do domestically?
0: Thanks for raising our sort of, we've considered them international observation. Missions to sort of tribal elections because obviously the tribal nations are, are sovereign so we were invited in as sort of international observers and. And we have observed several elections, mostly in Oklahoma, but prior to 2020 the Carter Center's work on elections domestically have been pretty limited, you know we had done that that tribal observation that you mentioned Eric and then um, we had. In 2016, we worked with NCSL, the National Conference of State Legislatures, to sort of do a 50-state legal review of what the rules and regulations were around observation. Because, you know, when we had looked at the United States in comparison to other countries, we were pretty surprised to see um, that really nonpartisan election observation was not something that was widely practiced here there wasn't necessarily a lot of conversation about nonpartisan observation and the rules obviously since it's the united states the rules were like all over the place across the different jurisdictions and across the states so we worked with mcsl to compile that information um into one sort of you know database on on their website but that had really been it until 2020 and in 2020 we decided as the center to sort of become more involved we felt like you know when we looked at the climate and the environment around last year's election, that we sort of saw characteristics around the sort of the political landscape, the electoral landscape, that would cause us concern in other countries. We were really worried about sort of the degree of political polarization and the impact that that was having on the election. We were concerned about the declining trust in the electoral process and the sort of the institutions of elections. We were concerned about the potential for, for violence pre and post election. So when we looked at all these things, we thought, well, if this was in a different country, we would definitely suggest that the Carter Center observe or have some sort of involvement. And we decided it wasn't really feasible for us to do election observation last year, because that would just be such a huge um, effort to really do that well. So instead we decided that we would focus a little bit more on public information, voter education, supporting the elections by sort of promoting transparency, trying to promote trust in our election officials in in the sort of the institutions of the election. Um, And so we put out a whole bunch of videos and materials and, and really tried to sort of bolster good transparent electoral processes last year. Um, And so, sort of now at the Carter Center, have we've been sort of having internal discussions, trying to think about like, is this something that we will continue to work on? Was that a one-off? But we want to stay involved. We think that there's a lot that we can still contribute, and we want to think more about what would it mean to have large-scale observation of the elections in the United States. Apart from that, it would mean a lot of work, and it would be really challenging. But but what does that really look like, and and how do we do that, and you know, what, what's, there's already so much great work that's being done. What can we build on? How can we supplement? How can we nurture? How can we elevate the work that's being done to, to sort of bolster this
2: um, observation capacity? Have you had a chance to get reception from legislators or election authorities or things like that on just the concept of domestic nonpartisan observation, because it's not that common in the United States. And we have poll watchers and challengers and a very partisan version of observation, which really isn't even observation. They're not watching to make sure that the administration is, you know, done in a certain way. They're watching for their own interests. But what has the feedback you've gotten so far been?
0: You know, when we started doing that work that I described in 2016 with NCSL, one of the things that we started doing even five years ago was to start trying to have more conversations about what nonpartisan observation is with state legislators, with secretaries of state, with state election directors, just to try and sort of get a sense of, you know, where people were in their feeling about nonpartisan observation, where there might be some resistance, where there are really important considerations that maybe we aren't thinking about because we are so accustomed to this in the international context. You know, we wanted to hear from people about like, well, here, here's the reasons why it won't work here. Um, so far, I would say we need to continue those conversations and we, you know, part of our plan in the next year is to really sort of hear more from people about what they think about nonpartisan observation, how it could fit in. But, you know, I think we've heard a lot of different feedback. There's, you know, sort of a general sort of thread that is supportive, thinks that nonpartisan observation is helpful, but there's also, I think, you know, some resistance to change because it's just, it's different than what we've had. And we're accustomed to partisan observers or partisan monitors. We kind of know what they do. We know how it works and, We have, I think, I would say overall, in our sort of electoral culture, we have a great deal of comfort with the idea of partisan politics and, you know, sort of the partisan nature of elections. And so sort of thinking about this in in new and different ways has been, you know, something that we're continuing to work on. I will say in November, the Carter Center observed the risk-limiting audit that was conducted in in Georgia as a nonpartisan observer. And it was, we had a lot of, you know, good conversations with the election administrators across the state with whom we were working, who were just really supportive when we called to say, hey, we're going to be sending our our observers. Um, And when our observers turned up, people were so excited to have people who were there who were just interested in the process and were asking questions about the process and wanted to learn more about how election officials do their work and wanted to, you know, people just we're, we're really receptive. So we're hoping that this is something that we can, you know, build on, that we can try and, and continue to sort of build that enthusiasm because election officials across the state, across the country are doing so much work and people don't ask them about, about the work that they're doing. That everybody's always just interested in the results and how quickly the election results are put out. And you know, sort of, there's a, so much focus on that, that end product but there's so much that goes into an election and people seemed really eager to, to talk about it and to get feedback on things that they could do differently or ways that they had really done a great job. So we're hoping that, that there will be, once people have a better sense of exactly what the difference is between partisan monitoring and nonpartisan monitoring, that there will be a great deal of receptivity to this idea.
1: I'm curious if there have been conversations uh, amongst you and your colleagues at the Carter Center about some of what might be the dangers of domestic election observation, nonpartisan election observation. You know, obviously Jimmy Carter is a Democrat. You know, I, I get the sense that most Americans are like, "Oh, that's great." You know, he works on Habitat for Humanity houses and he sends observers to Nepal and Kenya. But then it, it you know, it might kind of get real here in the U.S. when the Carter Center starts making recommendations domestically. Is there a danger that? People might start having opinions about the Carter Center. And, you know, maybe we should look at it in a different way. I mean, what, what's the what's the calculation there?
0: You know, that I think is something that has weighed heavily on our minds at the Carter Center for a very long time. And in fact, was part of the reason why in the past we hadn't been more involved around um, election issues. That, you know, we completely understand that even though we are a nonpartisan organization and really live and die by our nonpartisan principles and values, that obviously it's an organization that was founded by a former U.S. president, uh, an eminent person within the Democratic Party who has his own views, shares his views. And so, you know, that has definitely been part of our sort of thinking about, well, how can we how can we engage um, in the United States and how can we do that um, in a way that demonstrates our nonpartisanship? partisanship I think for now, you know, we, we sort of go into this knowing we will have to constantly be demonstrating that we are nonpartisan and that that may never be completely acceptable to, to some people. You know, some people may always sort of have the a, a little bit of skepticism. Um, and and we recognize that, uh, but we just know that we just we 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 know what our values are. We know how we do our work. We're going to keep telling people how we do our work, and then we will act according to those values and according to our our nonpartisan uh, sort of mission. That's what we feel is the best we can we can do in this situation. We don't think that that outweighs like the risk. That risk doesn't outweigh the benefit. We think at this point. And I will say, you know, we also have really been appreciating relationships that we have with other nonpartisan organizations that maybe have Republican founders sort of that. So they're sort of in a similar boat, but on the other side of the the political um, spectrum. And so we've been really um, enjoying and valuing relationships with like the, the George W. Bush Institute. We did an event with them, focused more on sort of international democracy promotion last year, but we're trying to find ways to also learn from the experiences of other organizations that are doing similar work that might be in a, in a sort of similar situation with um, having an eminent founder that has a definite political background.
2: In moving towards if there's more domestic observation happening, do you think that the reports and recommendations will look different than the way that the reports and recommendations have been offered just because of like how Eric mentioned before, kind of the stakes are different?
0: You know, that's a really great question and one that I haven't really thought about. I guess I have sort of, without really being aware of it, assumed that they would be a little bit different. I mean, I think that I have assumed that there would be a benefit in having slightly more detailed recommendations. So let me take a step back. When I think about the kinds of things that we might recommend or that we recommended, for example, around the risk-limiting audit in Georgia, the things we recommended or talked about in that report were pretty detailed things that I don't know that we would have gone into quite as much detail in, say, Zambia or Egypt, because in Egypt, we're kind of looking at the broader environment. And I mean, obviously, this, this particular observation was just focused on this one part of the process, but you know, we were talking about things like, you know, the boxes where the ballots kind of go in under the scanner, it's a problem because there's these flaps. And if you don't remember that the flaps are there, you might not check and ballots get stuck in there. Need to think about ballot storage issues and ballot sort of ballot containers, maybe rethink some of that and work with, you know, your vendors to get different solutions to this problem. So it's pretty detailed and I I have sort of been assuming that those are the sorts of recommendations or thoughts that are more helpful here than they might be in other places where we're working. Just because the sort of the context and the needs around sort of assistance, support to election administration are different here than they might be um, in, in other parts of the world. But I say that, you know, without having really thought about this question at all before you just asked me, so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what else do you think uh, is important for, especially Americans to know about the Carter Center and what you all do?
0: I mean, I think, you know, not because we have been so focused on uh, working internationally, I, you know, people, unless you maybe are in the Atlanta area or, I really like Jimmy Carter, and i a Jimmy Carter fan. I, you know, I don't know that we really, people have really thought much about the Carter Center, to be honest, in the United States, because so much of our work has been international. So I guess the first thing is like, hey, we're here, and um, we're this, not we're a nonpartisan organization. We're based in Georgia. Um, we do a whole bunch of things. We, you know, obviously we have our election observation work um, internationally. Uh, our election support work internationally that we're also sort of trying to bring home. But we also do a lot of work on health programs internationally. We have Mrs. Carter has been um, a huge proponent for um, mental health for 40 years, something like this. Um, and she and 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 our colleagues in the mental health program have been doing, you know, a lot of work domestically around promoting access to healthcare for mental health, mental wellness, uh, reducing stigma around mental health. So we're here. Um, we do all kinds of things. We'd love people to learn more about our work. And I mean, I think just sort of not answering a question you didn't ask. I think it's important to understand the difference between sort of nonpartisan observation and partisan monitoring. You know, you were sort of implicitly alluded to it, Brianna, but I think it's important to, to just really say clearly that nonpartisan observation, either by citizens or by international observers, is really focused on looking at the electoral process and assessing the process separate from the results. Right. It's it doesn't really if you're an international observer or a nonpartisan citizen observer, you don't really care who wins the election. You want to make sure that that process was fair and transparent and open. And as part of the process, we, you know, analyze all kinds of aspects of election administration, the election law. And then our goal really is to provide recommendations and assistance to think about how the election can be improved. In the future, so it's it's really a conversation that nonpartisan observers are having with election administrators, with legislators, about how to constantly make our elections better, regardless of who wins them. Um, and I, you know, I, I don't know that people have really thought about it in that way consistently. So that would be one thing that I I would hope would be you know if there's one takeaway from this, I would hope that that would be it.
1: I don't know if that can be emphasized enough, the uniqueness of nonpartisan election observation. And I know we mentioned this in a previous podcast with John Alt from Democracy Volunteers that in Missouri, and I think we're similar to a lot of other states where partisan observers or challengers, as they're called under our state law. They have explicit authority to observe things. Missouri is somewhat unique in that International election observers are allowed to observe the process. There is no provision in our state law for nonpartisan domestic observers. And I think that's, like I said, similar in a lot of other states. So there's probably a lot of legislative work, maybe, to be done before this can be done in any meaningful way nationwide.
0: You know, in some places we've seen that there's a, a sort of enough discretion that is left about who can access polling places, you know, that in some places, you know, it's maybe it says that it's open to the public or it doesn't specifically list who, which kind of observers can be in polling places here. And so there's been maybe a little bit more of a leeway for domestic nonpartisan observers to have access to the process. But I mean, I just think when I look at our experiences internationally and just the level of interest in being engaged around the elections here. It just seems like really nonpartisan domestic observation is a great way for people to understand the process, to feel involved in the process without having to be associated with a political party if you don't want to. And that it's just that that sort of, that ability to see how the process works to really understand all of the safeguards that are in place, all of the things that election administrators are doing, to protect the election process, having people that can see that and then tell their friends and be advocates for the process and really sort of provide transparency and it, it just seems like something that you know we, we might really need right now given sort of the dynamics around the last election. So I'm, I'm hoping that you know, we can we can have this conversation and people can see the benefit of nonpartisan observation as a way to really bolster bolster the work that election officials are doing then bolster this transparency of the process
2: I was going to ask what you would like local election authorities to know because I think probably there's been not a lot of awareness at least I mean like it doesn't come up in our trainings or our conferences or things like that the concept of what if we started having domestic observation you know,
0: I think the, the first thing that came to mind for me is that I, I think nonpartisan observation should really be a conversation, right? Throughout the electoral process, but it also needs to be a conversation before you have nonpartisan observers. So when I think about um, how we might work in other countries or our expectations, you know, we, we expect as observers that we will be accredited. Right. And that as part of that process of getting a badge that says we have access to the polling place, there are rules about how we have to behave in that polling place. There are rules about, you know, not interfering, asking only asking questions at a time that's convenient for people. If people are really busy running the election, you need to leave them alone. <laughs> ask a bunch of questions you know that there are sort of that there are ways that we should be having conversation about the appropriate roles and responsibilities of non-partisan observers from the outset so if there's clear expectations about how observers will behave but also what observers should be giving back to the process right so you should be coming in and looking at these things but you shouldn't just be sort of putting out public super critical public statements about the election process. You should also be pointing out what went well. You should be having conversations with the local election officials about what you've seen. You should be sort of building relationships because it is essentially we're all wanting to do the same thing, right? Which is to have good elections where people can vote and feel like they are participating in in their political processes at the local level all the way up to the federal level and so if we all have that goal in mind we should be thinking about this as a conversation and thinking about how we all contribute and how we can help each other knowing that at times there will be you know there may be critical interventions we there might be feedback that you know isn't the easiest to hear but at the same time a lot of the time there's going to be feedback or there should be feedback that's positive about the things that have gone really well. So I would like to think of this as a conversation that starts with everyone sort of coming to the table and talking about what nonpartisan observation can and should be in jurisdictions and how we can work out those, those roles and responsibilities in a way that makes sense for everyone and that ultimately supports supports the electoral process to be to be better next time. Not that it was bad this time but better, always better, continuous improvement.
1: All right. Thanks everyone for listening to another episode of High Turnout Wide Margins. And a big thanks to Avery Davis Roberts from the Carter Center for talking to us about all things international election observation. Please tune in next time for another episode of High Turnout Wide Margins.